Okay, hello, welcome in Go Global Eastern Europe podcast. And today my guest is Daniel from Hungary, my good friend, and we share insights and we have similar thoughts about possibilities for our part of the world. So welcome, Daniel. Hello, hi Tomek. I'm happy to be on your show and congratulations for this podcast. Thank you, awesome. thank you. Thank you. I'm happy that you are among my first guests. So <laughs> let's start with the introduction. If you can introduce yourself a little bit, who you are, yeah. what's your backstory, and what, right. what do you do? Right. I've been doing this uh, marketing thing on the internet since uh, all the way maybe back in the college days in 2002. And back then I was really into adventure travel. And, and I actually set up an adventure travel agency and an operator. So we took people all over the place in the high mountains of the Himalayas, focusing on mountaineering. And, you know, in the meantime, I always had a couple of clients. And when, when I couldn't make enough money, I would go to big companies, tech companies and startup companies and do marketing for them. And I always had a couple of clients on and off along the way. And so then COVID hit last year. And, uh, and I was scratching my head because obviously the travel industry was like, bam, it was, it was like game over for, for a very long time. And it still is like nowhere back near and anywhere near where, where it was. So maybe still at like 5%, 3%. And, and so I thought, okay, let's get a couple of more clients. And then, and then it just stuck, <laughs> it just stuck. And then, you know, one client became two and two became three. And now I've got a couple of clients focusing on, um, on pretty much the same segment that you are, which is East Central European, or in my case, especially Hungarian companies who wanna hit it big on the international market. So technology, IT, and mostly service-based. So, so that's where we're at. So it's okay. B2B growth. Okay, great. Okay, so this mountain trips, mountains agencies, pretty recent topic. It, you just stopped before COVID because on your LinkedIn, it looked like it, yeah, like, you know, ended this like 10 years ago, but it's pretty recent. Yes, as I understand well. Well, yeah, I started it way back. I think in the agency itself started the, uh, the mountaineering agency back in 2006. And, <laughs> and, and right now it's, it's, on, it's on hold, basically. So, so that's that's the situation with that. Okay, and how would help you for for business mentality and oh. everything? Because it's super interest, interesting connection. Because I it think is. for many people, we just go mountains one per year. Maybe not so super high mountains like it's in Poland, two thousand. Mm -hmm. Like it's I well, you know. have the Tatras, which is all yes, you need for mountains. I mean. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, but you know, it's, it's actually super relevant to, to B2B business because on the one hand in mountaineering, you learn that uh, things that seem impossible um, are really achievable if you, if you push yourself and if you really believe in it and if you get the right team together. So there's the sport aspect of, of climbing and mountaineering, which has just so many parallels and, um, and relevant pieces to, to, to the world of business. And then running a business like this itself is uh, is actually sur surprisingly similar to running service-based companies. Well, on the one hand, because it is a service, but the big challenge is um, that with organizing travel, especially mountain travel, you have to do a lot of persuasion and you have to do it online. And the people are super skeptical in uh, a lot of times. So, you know, there's obviously the danger factor, 
factor is the factor that you don't know what's going to happen once you go to Africa because there are just so many unknowns. And so you got to plan things around contingencies and you've got to have plans for B cases and C cases and D cases and the oh shit scenario. So you really got to have your plans in place and have the processes in place. So what this has taught me is to number one, have processes. Number two, have an awesome team who are like super dedicated and super driven. And number three, that nothing is impossible. And, and I made a habit of sometimes choosing seemingly impossible goals. Like, you know, I started jogging and then I would think, okay, well, let's go a little longer. Let's go a little longer. Let's go a little longer. And I was running in the mountains of Hungary. And then one day I thought, okay, why not do a 100 kilometer trail race? And I did it. And people thought I was stupid. I knew I was stupid, but <laughs> I just wanted to see like where impossible can take you, like doing seemingly impossible stuff and um, training and just going for it and doing it and having a good time. Okay. So yeah, so in this case, how stupid is goal and this idea to get global clients if we are company from Eastern Europe, from Poland, Hungary, Ukraine, and because I've, I see that many tech companies, they limited themselves. Then, okay, we're just outsourcers. We, it's hard to build brands. It's hard to get direct clients. We know that they getting like big percent from our work. So how big is this goal? Of course, but it depends on the situation. But from your perspective, how to, how to check this? When this goal is big or maybe it's too big? So obviously our region's primary advantage in the eyes of the world is that we have really good quality talent at a very favorable price and the time zone and perhaps the quality is somewhat more favorable as opposed to Asia. So, so that's our region's big advantage. And I agree that many companies are limiting themselves because what they're thinking is, oh, if we just do like a 10% higher price than we do at home, to a company in England or the US or Singapore or wherever, and we work twice as hard, <laughs> then we'll be better off. And the challenge in thinking is that, hey, you're not any less because you are from this part of the world. I mean, it's, it's about the value which you deliver. And of course, yeah, you can't lie about the fact and you cannot sweep it under the rug that you are not in the States and then you probably won't be flying to clients so often and that you are in different time zones. So yeah, that does have an impact on price, but in general, the value that you bring is as good as, or in some cases, even better than in the case of, 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 of companies who are based and situated in Western Europe or the States. And another thing, which is really important, and, and I get it from a lot of places, is that you, know, you start talking to a company and you ask them, hey, um, so why do your clients like you? What's, What are some of the positive <laughs> things that they usually mention about you? And about 80% of the time, the number one thing that I get from clients is that clients love us because in comparison to Western European and American companies, they think we are more flexible and we are more clever. So a lot of times, you know, companies, your, your competitors in Western Europe are a lot more lazy and they'll just go, okay, well, we have one way of doing this. And it's worked and we're going to do it this way. And if the client wants something else, <laughs> they'll just don't, no, no, we're, we're doing it this way. All right. Or they'll just say, no, we can't do it. 
And so a lot of the clients can really capitalize on their cleverness and their agility and their flexibility and their out-of-the-box thinking by going, oh, okay, we can do it that way. So that's that, that's a huge advantage okay. that, that companies over here have. Okay. That you so, really play on that, yeah. So yeah, so now is the question, how to communicate this? Should they start with sending cold emails or should they post on LinkedIn? Or post on Facebook. <laughs> what do you think? How 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 that could be the plan for testing things and implementing them by step by step? Yeah, well, you're really good at the LinkedIn part, and and I believe that has to be a core part of the strategy. So demand generation on LinkedIn is is huge. Also, many people in this space in the B 2 B marketing space are sort of against uh, cold outreach. I'm not. I'm not. I definitely think it's not a substitute for anything but it's great for testing and fast results. So you can say all the bad things about cold outreach that it's not the people, it's not the way people buy and it doesn't work with millennials, bullshit. If you go out and test it, it freaking works. So again, I'm not basing entire strategies on cold outreach. Uh, what we do is just, we like to build up the, the inbound demand generation machines. And just so that we start getting results early, we do cold outreach, but we do it in a cool way. So it's not like, hello, I, I can sell you a project for 25,000 euros. Would you like to have a chat? Or do you want to hop on a discovery call? We do like, you know, humorous stuff and, and funny stuff. Or we we do the podcast play, you know, where you invite people to podcast. That's like podcasting has got to be a huge part of everybody's strategy. And But we do approach companies without them knowing us. But again... Yeah, so ideally, and on the long term, you want to start with building a strategy that will build on um, building up your authority and your status in the market. So yes, you will want to engage people first before you reach out to them on LinkedIn and all the th stuff that you teach you want to do. But at the same time, especially in the beginning, you want to have a little play with cold outreach. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. And, and I think that we have different, maybe not you and me, but many people among us, they have the different view and this imagination of outreach because we are considered this as we receive some a message from India that, okay, hello, mister, we do mobile, develop, mobile development, CEO, PPC and everything. <laughs> and, you know, different situation is if we are going through the desert and someone asks, okay, uh, I have water, do you want some? And yeah, thank you that you that you reached to me and that may be secret, for example, information like like I love football and you know and visiting different games, for example, and, and uh, anywhere in the world. And for example, in Colombia, I was in Medellin, the famous place of Pablo Escobar, and I went to the game and I yeah. also, you know, I didn't have tickets, so I wasn't also sure. And, you know, I'm in Medellin, this famous place, but people uh, reached to me and it was good price, even a burger, burger something. So uh, I think to take lesson from it, to really reach to people that could need our help, because sometimes if they are not aware, if, for example, something changed in the law, and to reach to the people, oh, hello, have you received this new information that from the beginning of the next month, you will need this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. If you want, you can check our article about this. And it, it is value, it's pro value. So it's still, it's possible to do outreach in this good way and to provide value. Yeah. And, 
Yeah. And it's also good exercise of ego because when you start doing and we're sending to 10 emails, we can, oh, my, they don't like me. But then later, if we learned that, okay, in business, the more strength we have, the power that we are not depend on the, how the people think about us, the, the higher we can go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so as you mentioned this, podcast strategy so what is the difference and of course i have some my ideas for why i'm starting <laughs> podcasts and everything so how do you see the difference in b2b space than in this normal b2c kind of like like influencer podcast versus this highly specified and with slower audience shows yeah. Actually, in the way you go about it, I don't see such a big difference. Of course, there are the, the, like nuanced differences, but both strategies are about creating a presence in the marketplace and more importantly, about providing value. Okay, a lot of times in B2C and with, because you mentioned influencers and that could mean anybody, it's not about providing value, it's about being interesting and being sort of egotistical and entertaining people in that way. Obviously, this is a huge difference because in B two B, you that 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 just doesn't exist. So, so you always want to be providing value, and it's always going to be about education and serving the market. And I'm a big fan of of, of this mindset that rather than thinking of it as building thought leadership and a status and authority, think of it as serving, as going to the market and helping people in any way possible. And if you do that. You're not going to have these um, really general blockers or mental blockers such as, hey, we don't want to give away too much information. What if our competition is listening and they're going to steal it? Or what if the client will just take this knowledge and implement themselves without us? <laughs> you know, these are, these are you're laughing, but, but it's not funny. <laughs> because because it's, yeah, it, it's the wrong mindset. Okay, I think it's worth it to spend three minutes setting the records straight. Okay, number one. Yes, if you provide value, your competition will be listening and they will perhaps be learning. But is that a problem? No, it's not a problem because you are in a market where number one, demand will always, always outnumber supply. So there will be always much more seals than hunters. <laughs> and this is the case with IT services. And, and, and technology in general in, in the markets where, where we play, okay? So even if your competitor, you know, gets some nuggets of knowledge from you, the impact that that's gonna have on your business is, you know, it's like microscopic, number one. Number two, knowledge is actually a commodity. And people would argue with that because they'll be like, oh, in this day and age, knowledge is everything. Not true, not true, especially in business. Information, insight, and knowledge is just, bullcrap without implementation. So even if somebody takes your, you can give your like exact processes, your business plan and your business secrets, you can give it to somebody and its value only depends on what they do with it and their ability to execute. And the ability to execute depends on so many factors that it's, it's unbelievable. So that's why, you know, knowledge, it doesn't really have a of course, it has value, but but it's 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 not something to hold on to like that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. I heard that 
uh, this metaphor that that hand can take money if you open your hand then you can take money but to open <laughs> hand you need also to give with the open hand yes so yeah, yeah it's i think it's a good approach but i always think uh, maybe not always thinking but i have the situation i have workshop for a logistic company because sometimes companies approach me from outside our our bubble mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like you know i have this workshop for the city of poznan now to some logistic company and they they have everything you know like secret because it's so big competition and i believe this because you know yeah i don't know marketing 100 i trust i trust their how they feel this their stories their experience so i showed them every everything how to hide everything from the profile only to show in the smaller network and how to check people if there are secret competitor of this potentiality if they want this of course i'm I'm the consultant for this way to serve to the best needs of the client. And I want to ask you, um, do you, when you want to invite your potential client or maybe your current client to the podcast, and they have this man mindset that mm, I'm not sure, you know, now our know-how, our secrets. So do you try to say them what you said to me? Reason that, okay, let's, Let's share it with, because it's mm -hmm. sound like, you know, big coaching work <laughs> or you just mentioned, okay, we, we will find the topics, maybe in general business, something like this. What's your approach in this case? Well, another idea just came to mind while you were speaking. And this was a thought experiment I had. Um, and I'm curious what, okay, I'm going to test you on this. Okay. okay. What do you think would happen if, tomorrow coca-cola put their secret recipe on wikipedia like what would happen to coke in two months or a year nothing big because you know even even they will some someone will try to fake it it still will be not this um, it's still not build this prestige this brand like for example yesterday exactly. i read, read somewhere that you know there are you can buy fake Rolex and to check the difference between original one and the fake one, you need to check inside. So it's impossible to check for the normal human being. But, you know, as I lived in, for example, in Thailand, and I was always funny that, okay, Rolex has the sales department officers on the streets and they're selling for like 25 euros uh, Rolex on the streets yeah. in Thailand. But still I have this feeling even this is a perfect copy. If someone will spot this, that anyway, I don't know, I don't know about for Rolex <laughs> watches, uh, you know, how to spot this. And still, I was thinking, okay, the more is important to have this clarity in life, to, to not faking something, to not yeah. creating uh, creating movies in rented house or rented cars, something mm -hmm. like this. And, you know, with the clarity, it's not my office, I'm renting this, it's not my building, <laughs> but I don't pretend <laughs> to have so. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's still, if nothing will change, because also Coca-Cola, it's so big part of distribution uh, chain yeah. around the world. I mean, they have the brand, they have the distribution. So even if you had the secret recipe, which supposedly is like such a huge part of the company's value, 
I don't think it is because what would Pepsi do? You know, they'd be stupid to copy it. Any other brand would be stupid to copy Coke because they already have some buyers who like their flavors. So if they started copying Coke with Coke's recipe, they just lose those people's to Coke, <laughs> mm -hmm. no. So it's it, it's the brand which you can't fake, and you can't really steal a brand if, if you think okay, well you can steal domain names and that that kind of stuff. But the goodwill and and everything that a brand is, the feeling, the experience, and the emotions that you associate to something, if you build that, nobody can steal that, and they really can't copy it because you can't copy uh, someone's customer experience process. So sure, you can copy the steps. And again, the steps to creating great customer service are, are no secret. Basically, everybody knows it's, it's the execution that matters. And if you manage to get that together, so like the customer service, the experience, um, the whole delivery mechanism and the way your brand feels when the customers first start engaging with you um, and, and the goodwill that you build, that is something that is long lasting, you know, a no economic crisis is going to wipe it out. No competitor is going to steal it. They can do better than you, but, but nobody can take it away. And okay. Yeah. I think it's perfect. Answer. It's a, it's a, it's a recession proof thing. Yeah. And, and that's what you have to be building. Okay. And our so, demand yeah, generation is a part of that. Okay. Yeah. It's, I think perfect answer for it. And yeah, if someone, understand this we can help them if someone don't understand we can probably also help them a little bit because it's you know even if someone wants just to send this cold emails and cold, mm -hmm. cold messages it's still we can tweak this and we improve this yeah, process yeah, but this yeah. long term you know to understand this that building your brand it's something like it's not logo not name it's something it's perception and to building this Mm -hmm. open perception through content marketing for example first through this visibility through podcast blogs it's wow it's something that yeah build this 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 relation so it's you know when it's time to build this brand and uh, what's what is essential from your part because i think many people can feel now i building software house I, I don't, you know, I'm not Coca-Cola. I wouldn't uh, be sponsor of, you know, World Cup or something like this. Yeah. So, so what would you add beside the content, of course, for the building the B2B? Yeah, brand? I think the first step is, is to define your target audience, like in a very sub niche specific level. And that's tough for a lot of companies, because if you're based in East Central Europe, then and you've already built an operation of 50 or 100 or 150 people, then you're probably used to be able to doing everything, like from mobile development to data science and whatnot, in all verticals, in all industries, and you have a bunch of references. And if that's the case, you should probably be aware of the fact that if you want to build an international presence, you need to specialize because the international scene is already specialized. So you don't find many, uh, well, you can still find a few, but most of the emerging like development and technology companies, they're very specialized or even in some cases, hyper-specialized depending on the market. And your buyers are definitely gonna be looking for a specialized vendor, a vendor with specialized capabilities. And, um, and if you can't prove that, then you're at a disadvantage. Your advantage could be that, okay, 
I'm based in Eastern Europe or whatever. I'm in a different time zone venue, but hey, I've got like 25 clients in the logistics space uh, whom I help with this exact problem. And that's all that we do. And you build your brand around that and they'll be like, bam, I'll just go to these. And, and I even talked to a, a, a very successful digital agencies leader once and they were very established. And um, so their problem was that they just lost a client, an important client. And the client they've, they've been friends with for, for years and their offices were nearby each other. And the agency was a generalist agency and the client was some auto repair shop, okay? And what happened was that the auto repair shop started growing and so they just kicked out this agency, this reputable agency, and went to somebody who was specialized only on car dealerships or auto repair shops. Because they had, you know, they could prove that they're the, you know, they've got the value, they've got the processes, they've got the experience in this area. So they can give some awesome competitive boost to, to this client. And so they lost, even though they were just down the road. And that agency that was less known, they were further away. But they beat them. They beat them because of specialization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even even starting with this, because for example, the one of the best success stories is NetGuru from my home city Poznan, and they started a Ruby on Rails, and now they are more general. But it's building the blocks additional when this when this need. But yeah, to start with the strong position and maybe expand, and now the later that that uniqueness that could be okay with is one of the biggest <laughs> tech providers. It's also great, but you know, it will be hard to start from, from yeah. this position. I, I was, I'm interested also your thoughts about tech content, because, you know, I found that many software companies, they focusing on creating something that they getting from developers. So developers write something on the blog, and they have this <laughs> belief that okay we need to write some some tool about some tools that some tutorials about some technical part and i don't feel this so much because i think okay i'm not sure how big percent of your possible clients are tech people some of course and they have results from this of course but how would you approach this how to create strategy for this and maybe combine with this business content also from the software perspective? Yeah, yeah, I, th I think it goes back to, to the overall strategy, which again, starts with narrowing down who you serve, what market. If you take that a step further, then you think about your buyer persona and in fact, the entire buying committee who's gonna decide on, on your project. And then if you take another thing, which we talked about, which is serving your market and you combine this, then what you have is looking for your niche and then looking for the people who you are going to serve and figuring out how you can help them, how you can serve them, how you can help them in their jobs. And that should be the starting point of, 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 of where you start. And most of the time you're going to be, uh, your buying committee is going to be, um, full of business people and less with like tech and logistics and, and whatever specialists. So most of the time it's gonna consist of like the end decision maker is probably gonna be in a business position. So you're definitely gonna be wise to write about the business impact and the business aspect 
of whatever it is that you're building or developing or serving. So, so, so that's one idea. And then, yeah, you'll probably have to get into the nitty gritty because there are going to be researchers who are going to want the, who are going to want answers to specific problems. So yeah, you're probably going to end up writing about that, but it's the mindset that's important. So I am out there to serve this niche and in particular, this buying committee. So I'm going to need to be talking to IT leaders, marketing leaders, and CFOs, for example, because they're the ones involved in the decision-making process, whether or not they hire us or not. So figure out what they want, figure out how you can help them, write the content. Okay. okay, nice. So always it should be this work work yes. at the beginning, not just, okay, other people write content and we should do this also. <laughs> okay, nice. I, I checked also in your past post on LinkedIn that you mentioned mm -hmm. some term account-based intelligence. If you can say something about this, because I, I I I saw it first time, but I get from the context. Okay, I have idea what it could be, uh -huh. and I think okay, it's brilliant. So if you can little, little tell yeah. a little more about sure. this, sure. Yeah, the, this term actually comes from one of the clients of of our company, Clear, and they're they're infinite and international, and they figured out something interesting. One of them being that oftentimes business development reps or SDRs, they are made to do market research, which if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense. Um, to, to translate the situation into marketing, it's like having a researcher writing advertising copy. You know, it's completely different skill set, completely different personality. So that's not the right thing. So, so what Infiniden does is that they, they provide research services for their clients so that their business people don't have to, or their business development people don't have to be doing research because they often don't have the time to do it. And they, even though they might have the tech stack, they, you know, they don't have time to like put all the pieces of the puzzle together. So account-based intelligence is basically dedicated market research and prospect research and list building for account-based marketing processes, sales and account-based marketing. So that's, that's what it is. Okay. That's the idea. Yeah, yeah. I think even it could be similar to this book, Predictable Revenue, and oh, yeah. Aaron, yes. the, yes. he mentioned yes. first time that's that a good you know book. that expecting from the salesperson that person will be good in researching, prospecting, and closing. It's so uh, different no. skill set, yeah. especially, you know, yeah. prospecting. It's so frustrating for people who are good in communication, in closing and everything. Yeah. So yeah, I, it's it's interesting here also to separate it maybe. Yeah, separate to, these three things. Yeah, definitely. That, that person who will create this, I love this term, Dream 100, you know, from Russell Branson and this book also, uh, Chad Holmes, Ultimate Sales Machine. Mm -hmm. So I always, as, as we talk and when I was your guest, Dream 100, you know, maybe, maybe to someone else should create this list and update this someone else should engage with these people because mm -hmm. i think it's big big block for many people to sit and to create this list at as long and they have some inbound leads and something it's oh you know it's so painful to, <laughs> yeah. to create this list and even from my personality I don't like this this part, yeah. but you know, I think okay, if I'm teaching this, I need to force myself to sit 
and to research these people even we are in some good position because we have clutch and we have like endless amount of leads from yes. those companies yeah it's even even this is oh my god i don't 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 love this part of the job but i see the value and and i want to be always up to date so i'm testing what i'm teaching people all the time in my case so yeah this is this is i think good advice for bigger companies to separate and yeah to give yeah. based on on people's skills yeah okay yeah great great and so i think we can go slightly to the end so if you have any final thoughts about what could be useful from this uh, perspective of b2b marketing abm this mindset from tech companies from poland ukraine hungary slovakia and countries around yeah in general you know i, I think we we touched on some real important points one is the mindset and the mindset involves two major blocks one is that nothing is impossible if you work your ass off and you're persistent enough number two is that you're out there to serve the market and maybe some thoughts about um for a very long time in my career i've been doing this as i said since i don't know 2002 it's, it's when i launched my first company and there is always 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 the big temptation to do something fast and smart with quick results and to leave the, the building stuff the brand building and the building of goodwill and serving and to leave that sort of on the side and every time i did that i i regretted it i regretted it so the focus should always be to to build this goodwill to serve the market and the only way that's going to happen is that if you actually dedicate time. What I learned is that if you don't dedicate time to, you know, take part in conversations on LinkedIn, to do podcasts, to to so show up and serve the market, if you don't dedicate time and if you don't say, okay, I've got like 25 urgent things that I've got to do for clients, but I'm just going to like push that off for an hour and a half and I'm going to focus on showing up for the market. If you don't do that, it ain't going to happen which is good news because if you do do it, you know that most of your competitors are not going to be doing it. So yeah. they're going to start a podcast and it's going to be, you know, three episodes in, they're going to get tired of it and they're going to say, oh, this doesn't have any return. So let's stop it. And so the majority of your competition is not going to be doing that, which is excellent news for you, which should motivate you even more to do it. And it's great information because when I was young, I was thinking, ah, people need to have some super and gift from the god to be good in social media or something maybe i didn't think about social media when i was young <laughs> but yeah. yeah a little younger but later in the older i'm getting i see oh my god it's just putting the work it's 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 so it's people around it's so lazy they're so so faking a job maybe not around me i love this co-workers here but in general in the society uh I see, oh my God, just, you know, starting this podcast and doing this consistent way and doing something real basic and then to work with people. And it's not so hard to reach to people because they are often lonely and they have many people clapping, but yeah. deeper relationships. So it's so possible just doing a work. So yeah, great, yeah. great summary. And Daniel, do you have, do you have anything to add for this question? 
No, not really. Okay, I think we, we touched on a lot of things. Of course, yeah. we could keep going for days on this, yes, yes. but it's better to get up and start doing it rather yeah, than to, talk about it. To use the most important steps to, to really implement this. Okay, yeah. Dennis, so yeah. where we can find you in this online space? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me in my hometown of Budapest if you come by for a coffee. <laughs> yeah. But the easiest thing to, is probably to hit me up on LinkedIn or at our company website, which is clear.hu and clear is with a K. Okay. I recommend also Daniel's podcast, not only because I was one of the among the guests, so I'm super happy, <laughs> but also I, I found that will be soon will be super interesting. Probably when this podcast will be released, that will be already already on air about how to add some fun, some excitement to B2B yes. marketing. So it's also worth to check. And even you know, interested in this, but he didn't ask because I see okay. I will listen whole episode about this. So I also recommend you. And yeah, I hope that will be possible to travel. Yes. Because even it's funny, like a week ago here near the beach, and they were selling Kurtis Kovac uh, in Poland. And someone, also one of my friends, bought it. And they, okay, have you tried this already? Huh? Yes, like, you know, 10 years ago in Budapest during free walking tour. And I did like, five free no maybe three four free working tours in Budapest so it's an amazing city even yesterday I checked how long will it take to go to Balaton from my <laughs> from my place so yeah I hope that will be opportunity to visit in person. Yeah. So thank you for this hey, you're for welcome this talk. yeah thank and we you. can do our next episode by Balaton. Yes live sure. <laughs> recorded without there. Zoom. We love Zoom but it's yes. better without <laughs> cameras in in real life stuff. Okay. So thank you one more time. Yeah, and see you. See you in real life in Balaton. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Tomek. Bye bye.